Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get in zone. AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get five quarts with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome, everyone, to the SI Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer, back for another week, Thanksgiving week. Hope everyone out there has a great holiday, and uh, hopefully you make time to listen to this episode. This show will be an interview with Stuart Mandel of The Athletic. He's the editor-in-chief of The Athletic's college football coverage. Uh, Stu has done great college football writing for SI.com, Fox Sports. Now he's at The Athletic. And uh, the chat is very little. I'm not going to lie to you. We, we do about 10 minutes on college football. Uh, the big chunk of the podcast is about sports media, what it's like for Stu to work at The Athletic, which is a pay site. You have to subscribe to read the articles. And he gives sort of an overview of what that's like, which is very interesting in the sports media time. He talks about uh, The Athletic, sort of how they've built their site and what's going on with them with video, podcasts. So if you're a sports media person, you'll enjoy that chunk of the podcast at the beginning there with Stu. Then we get into some college football, and then we wrap it up uh, talking about the office and reminiscing about our days at SI.com in 2007, 2008, when I was doing hot clicks, Stu was doing um, his mailbag, and uh, he had a little uh, interaction with Jenna Fisher from the office there's a lot of office talk, and then we talk about TV reboots there at the end. So if you're not into sports media, fast forward like halfway through. If you're into sports media, listen to it from the beginning. Uh, let me also tell you two quick things. If you did not listen to Ian Eagle on last week's podcast, I strongly recommend you do. He was hilarious, great Bill Raftery stories. Just funny, funny, funny guy. Uh, you will laugh if you listen to that podcast. So if you're traveling, driving to the families for Thanksgiving or over the weekend and you're away, you're in the car, you need something to listen to, make sure you check out Ian Eagle from last week. And um, also let me tell you that I am also host, I host a gambling podcast for SI.com. It's called the MMQB Gambling Podcast. I have two co-hosts, Gary Grambling and Scott Grambling, brothers, who uh, go through all the games with me. We go through the lines, we handicap it, we can give you best bets. So if you search for uh, the MMQB 
podcast. You can get it on that feed. It's called the MMQB Gambling Podcast. We do it every Friday. And uh, this week's is out early, obviously, because of the holiday. And we handicap the Thanksgiving games and all the games on Sunday. So check out the MMQB Gambling Podcast if you're a wagerer on NFL games, because I'm hosting that. Ian Eagle in the archives from last week. Make sure you check that out. And let's get right to this week's show with the athletic editor-in-chief of college football, Stuart Mandel. All right, joining me now, someone I've known a very long time, former colleague at two establishments, we'll discuss that, and one of the best in the business for college football from the athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, how are you? Great, Jimmy. Great to uh, be talking to you again. We, Me and Stu go way back. We worked together at SI for a long time and then at Fox Sports for a short time, although I, I don't know if we really worked together there. You were a TV star. I was working on the website and uh, before that disaster I don't know took about place. The, I don't know about that. Do you, how do you look back on your Fox years? Uh, I look back on that first year. I was there for three years, and the first year where, you know, I guess you could say I was a television star. I was. They were sending me all over the country doing stuff for FS1 when FS1 still had, you know, a, a lot of news programming um, as opposed to what it would eventually become with the talking head shows. That was a great experience. All my TV experiences, frankly, were great. Um, but, you know, it's hard not to have bad memories of the way it ended the last six months when, um, you know, all that went away for the most part. And then obviously, um, eventually replacing the writers with videos. Right. Good old pivot to video. It's, uh, the whole video thing is fascinating and it's interesting cause you're now at the athletic which doesn't do video, but I know they made a huge video hire this week with Armin Katayan. Um, I, I'm just fascinated about the way all these websites go all in on video when I think it's been pretty clear that most people don't want video outside of viral video that's sort of real and authentic. Um, do you have a take on that as a video person? Well, yeah, I mean, I think... Yes, there, there are viral videos that obviously people watch. People watch highlights. They watch, you know, I just watched this morning a clip from Mike Leach's press conference yesterday. Right. You know, we watch those kind of videos. And also I do think people, and these are the kind of videos The Athletic is investing in, will watch high-quality, you know, documentary-style or feature-style videos. I think the problem that, that, that publishers have made over the last, several years is in that that you know race to get ad dollars they'll put any video in a story you Mm -hmm. know whether whether it's high quality or not um you know i think the athletic has been very uh adamant and consistent that we're never gonna you know we're never gonna have two of our college football writers standing on the field after a game shooting an iphone video of themselves talking you know about the or, or talking about you know our skype video of somebody talking about the very story that you're reading. Uh, there's no desire for that. That that was just born out of, I think, um, very misguided media executives around the country who thought, just, just, I guess, assumed, maybe there was some sort of research, blog research, or just assumed that, oh, the millennials don't want to read articles, they want to watch videos. Well, if anything, we're, we're finding that to be the opposite. People want to 
people of all ages, but certainly even uh, younger ages, are more interested or consuming more written sports content than ever before. It's funny because I don't I don't know if you feel this way, but I know for me, you touched on a little bit there. What what I find frustrating and incredibly frustrating is that I feel like the people at all of these websites who make these decisions about video know nothing about the internet, know nothing about what people want, know nothing about what people consume, know nothing about how to get traffic, how to get a page view, how to get a view to a video. I feel like the people who make those decisions at all websites are clueless in terms of how people use the web. I think that, you know, in this role, I have a lot more connection with and experience with the business side of the operation. You know, I'm in pretty close contact with the founders of the athletic and the people who work at our corporate headquarters. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot different than the places I've worked with before. I think at a lot of these companies, they're the people who are, you know, charged with making money, the, the business side, the ad sales, the uh, marketing, all of that are not very integrated with the editorial. So right. um, they're not all that familiar, frankly, with, with what drives editorial decisions, with, you know, what we believe to be the, the kind of content that our readers want. And we know that the best, obviously. Um, at, at The Athletic, they're pretty closely aligned. They're pretty closely synced up, even though the uh, founders did not come from a sports media background. They come from a tech background, as do most of the people in that office in San Francisco. Um, but they get it. They, they know what people like. They have a lot of data at their disposal. And, um, and they're in very close contact with, uh, with us on the editorial side. Whereas I think at a larger company, a more established legacy company, you know, maybe they're meeting with the, the editor in chief, you know, with the, the highest people, but they have no connection to the people who are writing the articles and the people who are editing the articles. And, and because of that, I think, um, make some really misinformed decisions sometimes. Yeah. You you have a, a very high fluent title there at the Athletic Editor in chief of the Athletic College Football um sort of everything. Did you just what did you say? A highfalutin? Yeah, highfalutin. You don't know that expression? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. Uh, editor in chief. Uh, editor in chief. Yeah. So tell well, me well let me I'm gonna ask you a stupid question because I know that you would never get on here and say the opposite, but I'll, I'll ask it and I'll let you do your thing. How do you like working for the athletic? I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm not just saying that. I really do. Give it's me, been... give me the best thing about working for the athletic and the worst thing about working for the athletic. The best thing about working for the athletic is just being part of something from scratch where you're not necessarily walking into something where everything's already established and, this is how we do things. You just got to follow suit. I mean, I was fortunate enough to get in and it was really only, you know, less than a year and a half ago, but at that time, I think we only had about 20 full-time employees across the whole company. Now we have 300 writers and editors. I was going to say you hired 20 a day now. (laughs) Well, I mean, on the college football side, we hired, you know, we now have, I believe about 25 um, writers and editors. So, but Dan Usman, who's my managing editor, came from USA Today. He and I, really did start this from scratch, you know, with obviously, you know, in partnership with Alex and Adam, the founders. And so, you know, there's just nothing more rewarding than seeing your vision uh, come to fruition. And, and frankly, um, 
you know, we're just constantly experimenting and tinkering and, and figuring out what works and doesn't work. Um, you know, that, and we have the full support of the athletic, you know, they, they know that we, the editorial, the, 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 you know, I've been covering the sport for 20 years. Dan's been a high level editor for a long time. We have a lot of other editors who now have a lot of, you know, that now work with us on college football who have a lot of experience and we have great writers. So they trust us to know what, what works and what doesn't and to, to plan accordingly. So to have that much kind of direct input into the product that you see and consume um, is the best part. What did you say? The worst part? Yeah. That sounds harsh, uh, but uh, give me a, a, a let, let me think about let me think about that for a second. Well, um, well, um, obviously your content is behind a paywall. Does that ever get frustrating? You know, it, I mean, it was a little bit at first when nobody knew who we were, but at this point, you know, it's not. Uh, it's just not an issue. Um, the you know we're not that concerned with page views, but we do see what they are. And at this point, my you know regular columns like the mailbag get just as many views, if not more, than they did uh, my last year at Fox. So I don't really feel like I'm any less visible because articles are behind a paywall. Um, also, more and more publications are going to a paywall, so it's not it's not quite as you know um, out of nowhere or, or unorthodox as it probably was when we first started. So, um, you know, we've, the challenges have been building an infrastructure from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, there was at this point, I think we're much more um, built out and uh, certainly not a finished product. But, you know, when I first started, we didn't have an, H- an HR person. We didn't have a finance person. We didn't have a PR person. We didn't have, you know, all that was being done on the fly. And so, uh, you know, when you when you book a business trip at a Sports Illustrated or a Fox, it's just kind of a, um, you know, you, you don't even think about it. You just, uh, you know, you take it for granted that, the company has contracts with rental car companies and airlines and all those things. We don't have any of that. We're just, we're just booking it on our credit card and, and expensing it. So, you know, those are first world problems, but obviously those were probably the closest thing to, you know, the quote unquote worst part. So you, you said you do get numbers in terms of pages, but that's not sort of how you're judged. If you work at the athletic, how are you as a writer? How are you judged? Um, the two main kind of criteria are obviously it's a subscription business we want to sell subscriptions and we know you know we can see with every single story which one how many subscriptions how many new subscribers come in through that article mm-hmm. um so obviously that's a big one and then you know you want to bring in new subscribers but you also want to retain your subscribers and we um you know to this point have been very successful at that it's like a 90 percent retention rate and so you know it's um we talk a lot about engagement. You know, if you cover, um, let's just say theoretically, the Chicago Cubs, right? And we know exactly how many people on the site are signed up for Chicago Cubs coverage. You know, we pay close attention to, and I just made up that team at random. This is true for any team, uh, college or pro. Um, are are the writers writing articles that the fans of that team want to read? Right. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, we cover every NBA team. We cover every NFL team. We cover... Uh, 25 or so major college football programs, but are the people who are covering them delivering the kind of coverage that, that people have subscribed for? Um, do they feel like they're getting their money's worth? So, you know, it's it's that combination. Do you find, Bringing in new people, keeping the current people happy. Right. Do you find, and I'm curious because, just I'll use SI as an example since I'm here and I know what's going on here. Um, you know, we have our 
staples that will always do well for traffic, whether, you know, NFL power rankings, for instance, um, you know, college football rankings, stuff like that. Anything, you know, Monday morning after an NFL uh, Sunday. But having said that, there's still nothing that drives traffic for us, at least, than a news story or breaking news story for one of the major sports. I'm curious, given that your content's behind a paywall, do you find uh, news is a driver to subscriptions for you guys? Because you have, you have like a Ken Rosenthal who does break news. Or is it more, does that athletic audience want more um, opinion, analysis, or is news, I'm curious if news is as big for the athletic as it would be for the ESPN.com, SI.com. I think it depends on what, like what, you know, breaking news can, can encompass a lot of different types of stories, you know. I don't think transactional news, like somebody picked up a player off, you know, of waiver wires or something, right. and you happen to get that scoop, you know, that's a tweet. But major stories, I mean, the athletics, NBA writers, we're pretty much leading the uh, charge on the Jimmy Butler news. Um, Ken Rosenthal obviously breaks a lot of baseball stuff. Um, you know, those stories do well, but honestly, that's almost as important for awareness as it is anything. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a big deal to have the athletic, to have ESPN having something scroll on their ticker that's first reported by the athletic or uh, for, for somebody's tweet of breaking news to go viral um, and to be identified with the athletic. You know, lots of different types of stories do well. Um, but I think that the thing the athletic, whether intentional or not, is becoming most known for is really good uh, narrative storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the, the single most um, predictable or reliable um, subscriber, subscription driver for us on the college football side is when somebody writes a really unique and compelling feature. We had a story by David Oven last week about a Tennessee walk-on receiver who's also the CEO of a million-dollar company. And, you know, that took off, and we figured it would. Um, Chantel Jennings had a story earlier in the season about when Michigan and Nebraska shared the national title in 1997. Um, a Nebraska radio station made up an entire fake radio broadcast of um, if those two had played each other, and it sounded real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a very unique story. Nobody had ever told that story before. That does well. So... I mean, news is important, opinion is important, it's all important. We want to have it all. Right. Um, but, you know, I would say the the features, the really good features, are probably um, the things that, that do the best. And tell me how social plays a role in for the athletic. Uh, obviously, SI, ESPN, again, the usual ones, uh, social's huge in terms of, you know, driving traffic. Um I would imagine, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just because most people are assholes, I would imagine when you tweet something, you get a lot of like, I can't read this, this is behind a paywall, et cetera, et cetera. I should say most people on Twitter are assholes. Not anymore. Not okay. anymore. All right, I so mean, you, that's good. Occasionally. That that's, yeah, yeah. I think when, when something kind of drifts into an audience that doesn't normally see it, yeah, you get a couple of those, but um, I mean, I just think that it's much more accepted now than it was then. But in terms of your question about social Twitter is a is probably the single biggest driver. Um, you know, people people who are really engaged with sports and with sports writing fought, use Twitter. They they uh, they follow their favorite writers. They're looking for news about their favorite teams. So it would make sense that that's where people come across our work the most. 
Um, but we also got people in San Francisco whose main job is to, um, you know, take successful stories and, and pump them onto Facebook and, and drive more subscriptions that way. You know, they're, I have to give them credit. They're extremely uh, adept with looking at data and looking at kind of demographic profiles of the subscribers and saying, all right, this kind of story generally does well with, with, with this, you know, profile of people. Let's blast it out to people on Facebook who would be most likely to read it. So uh, those two, you know, both play an important role, just in a little bit different way. Right. Um, the, so tell me, I'm curious about your role as editor in chief of college football for the athletic. What what are your day to day responsibilities now in this role? Because I know you, you know, from the old school days where you were basically a writer and mm-hmm. editor. I guess a little, you know, you edit your own stuff basically. But what um, what does editor in chief have you doing? Well, you know, this time of year in season, especially late in the season, I'm still writing so many articles that um per week that that certainly takes up most of my time but i'm also always um you know dan eastman like i mentioned before he runs our day-to-day and you know he and i are in constant contact every day throughout the day and you know various things are always coming up um you know and i do involve myself not not necessarily in every story you read around that would be impossible but you know certain big ticket stories or controversial stories or whatnot um, you know, so, so, and then there's things that I deal with that are connected to, like I said, to like kind of the corporate side and communication with them, um, where, where I feel more like manager, if you will, is, has been in the off seasons when we've been hiring like crazy. So, um, where else maybe as if I were only a writer, uh, maybe I would have had a quiet June and July. Um, this year was as busy as ever because we were hiring all these. Uh, team beat writers and so that's that's a lot of work in terms of identifying candidates talking to candidates going through the offer process um you know at that point i probably wasn't writing very often because i was so consumed with that you know you mentioned all the hires uh, uh, one of the uh, you know it, it's it's i sort of get the vibe that you have to work at the athletic sort of to understand it because i do feel like the outside perception because of the hires is that um, it's sort of like how can they pay all these people because you guys have hired just a tremendous amount of people, and this is probably not a question for you, but since I'm speaking to you, I'll ask it to you, and you can not answer it if you want. But is there ever a thought like, you know, I know you guys get these massive cash infusions, but you don't have ads. You rely on the cash infusions and you rely on the subscriptions, but you've hired so many people. Is there ever a thought of like, you know, can we sustain this or do all the numbers bear it out where do you guys look like you're going to have no problems sustaining it? There's, I mean, I, know, I, I get it. I totally know why it would seem to on the outside that they're just like spending recklessly. And, well, I don't even think it's uh, recklessly. I just think it's a quantity thing. I mean, there, there have been, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. reckless is sort of objective, I think is to what, you know, I mean, I don't want to put you in a tough spot. Overspend, they're spending more than they they bring in, or something like that. They're very. I mean, Alex and Adam from the very beginning have always had very lofty and ambitious goals in terms of subscriber numbers. And even I would be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll happen." And then it far exceeds that. I mean, the the growth has been just 
phenomenal. And then I would also say that, you know, they really have been very strategic about who they hire, um, what uh, markets we go into. We don't force it. We don't, if, if it we're, you know, if we don't find the right person, you know, there's certain college teams that we would have loved to have writers for but going into this season, but it just didn't work out. And so we'll wait till next season. Um, and then the other thing I would just say is 2018 has been a, you know, a year of huge expansion, but now we have almost every market we want, right? It's not going to be that way. Right. I mean, even, even now you will have noticed the announcements have slowed down. Um, you know, there was a, a, that was the strategy was they wanted to really be able to say they have a foothold in every major pro market and certain college markets. Um, and now that's pretty much wrapped up and we can kind of turn our attention solely to, we have the writers now, let's make the product the best possible product. Okay. Well, that, it has slowed down, I guess. Uh, that's definitely true. It was, I guess it was over the summer where it seemed like it was a barrage on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, there was a period in the spring and summer when our company Slack channel would be every single day, hey, welcome such and such, welcome such and such. <laughs> um, that has definitely slowed down just because there's a, there's, only, there's a finite number of teams, you know. There's, they now have every um, NBA team, every NFL team. So, you know, there's not – it just can't continue like that forever. Right. So there was kind of a race to get into, you know, just to be able to get into certain markets by a certain date. Um, but yeah, I mean, that phase is, I, w- I wouldn't say over because those guys always surprise me and end up adding more, even more, but, uh, you know, it is definitely slowed to a more, I would say moderate pace. Now is your, this is totally going now in a different direction, but is it, your audible podcast, is that affiliated with the athletic? They're not in the podcast business yet, right? Am I, am I correct on that? Yeah, right now the audible you know, Bruce and I had that started that at Fox, and we went our our separate ways. And so, you know, that's something we have happened. It's something we were doing independently even before I got to the Athletic. But was it? Were you guys? Got the athletic. But was that tied? It like that was your podcast before Fox, right? Or did it start? No, we started that when we were. We, you know, Bruce and I both started at Fox within a couple months of each other. So right. we started it there. And then, you know, he is still at Fox, obviously, in a television role. Right. Um, but they were gracious enough to let us keep the subscribers keep the rights to it when we when we left. So, wow, um, I didn't know that. So Fox let you and Bruce keep the Audible subscribers. Correct. Correct. So, All right. So it went away for a couple months um, during that kind of transition period when I was starting at the Athletic, but hadn't hadn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't. I don't know if it hadn't become public yet or wasn't official yet. Bruce was, ended up writing for you guys for a while there. So, yeah. Um, yes, they were, I, I'm very thankful that Fox was cool about that. Um, you know, they understood they were going in a different direction. It wasn't like, um, they would have had a need to keep those subscribers in the first place. So probably why you um, have more fun yeah, memories but, of that time, time than I do about, um, you know, when the athletic got this latest investment wave, um, you know, video is a huge part of it, and but those podcasts, so you know, that will be coming uh, at some point in the near future. So there will be more video and podcasts, uh, and and then the athletic will get into the podcast business as well. Is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Do you uh, do you still enjoy doing the podcast a lot? Does it ever feel like a grind? Do you um, is it ever a chore, or do you love doing it 
every week. We we love doing it. And we love, um, you know, it, it's interesting now when I go to, and Bruce finds this to be the case too, when he goes and does games at various campuses, he's a sideline reporter. Uh, when I go to games, or certainly I remember this being the case at the National Championship game a couple of years ago, many more people come up and say, huge fan of the Audible, um, than say like, hey, I read your article on Section Session. Right. I, that doesn't necessarily mean more people are listening to podcasts or reading the articles. There's just this, you know, this loyalty, um, and I'm sure you find it too among podcast listeners. It's why I'm still to this day uh, amazed that a lot of major media companies still think podcasts are a big waste of time. Uh, media companies want engaged consumers who mm-hmm. are loyal to your brand, and and you just you do not find more loyal people than people who are hooked on a podcast. You know that's why. Yeah. That's why certain companies, uh, you know, are, are sponsors of many, many podcasts because they know how effective that can be. Yeah. I do think, though, the, the one thing I would say, though, is obviously there has been a podcast boom. There are so many now. And I do think um, I do think there are a lot of people who do podcasts now who aren't very good. I mean, I'm not even sure I'm good. I, I, I'm <laughs> I really am, and I mean that. But you and Bruce have always had good chemistry, and I think I've always done it. I think I've been on twice with you guys. Um, it's a very easy conversation, but you guys have the chemistry there. I think you move it along, and the topic's good. I, I am surprised at how many people do podcasts who I listen to, and I'm like, I'm not sure these people should be hosting a podcast. Well, um, And I might I mean, include I myself in that, like I said. No, Jimmy, you're a great podcast. Uh, that's, that's, that's not true. That's not true at all. But you get great guests. I'm probably the least prominent guest you've ever had on this podcast because you're always getting these big time media personalities. That's not but, true. Uh, it's always a mix. It's always a mix. Um, I, I like we talked about with at the beginning of the video, right? I mean, don't I wouldn't do podcasts just for the sake of doing a podcast. It should be high quality. Right. <laughs> Ironically, Bruce. Now, the one thing you know, I appreciate your compliments. The one thing we weren't really bad about was sound quality. We just Never, you know, it was two guys in different cities recording over Skype, but we literally this week finally upgraded quite a bit and, and now have an actual professional timing podcast. Um, I mean, I think the market plays out. I mean, I would say, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people do podcasts. It's fun to do podcasts, but if, if you're investing an hour or two of your time every week in something that gets, you know, um, 320 listens, that's probably not the, the best use of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one thing about the podcast space that's become evident to me is that there's no middle class. You know, Bill Simmons and right. Pod yeah. Save America and Serial, mm-hmm. you know, they get millions and millions of downloads. Yep. But, you know, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I would imagine most of the podcasts that you can download on Apple Podcasts get, you know, a couple hundred or a couple thousand. And, right, right. Um, there's not a lot that are just like squarely. Like, hey, this is a really significant. Number. It's not millions, but this is still a really significant number of people. And that Apple, that Apple Top 100 is a joke. I've never figured out exactly what their algorithm is there. That's but, exactly uh, why it's a joke because it's some. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I think I was on there at like 20, and then I'm on there at like 100, and then I'm not on there. And it's like, it it the traffic doesn't vary that much. That like there'd be these massive swings. So it's a very it's, I would love to know the algorithm. It's still the wild, wild west. I mean, I don't yep. even think 
there's necessarily consistency yet between various companies, how they measure it. You know, I mean, you could say, oh, you know, 200,000 people listen to this podcast, but maybe they listen to 30 seconds of it. Um, it's, it, it, it still varies wildly. It's a very, it's still in its, its infancy, basically. Right. Um, I know it seems like everybody listens to a podcast now, but that's just not the case. The percentage of, you know, the, the population that listens to at least one podcast every week is still relatively modest. Yeah. And I think that the, the metrics are still pretty rudimentary. Do you have a dream podcast guest? Well, first of all, we don't do a lot of guests because we found that the listeners, I mean, we did a survey. We actually did like a survey, monkey survey a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And we're really surprised to find that they actually did not want to hear from coaches on the podcast. They just, coaches come on for 10 minutes and speak coach speak for the most part. Right. Well, um, that, yeah. It's a, much I, rather hear either Bruce and I talk or like when Bruce and I bring on some of our media friends and have a right. you know, pretty open conversation. That being said, if Nick Saban wanted to come on our podcast for a half hour, Right, uh, we would do that in a heartbeat. I was just gonna say and you're not I can't passing up. Maybe a more interesting guest. Right, I was gonna say you're not gonna pass up Mike Leach. Wouldn't pass up Mike Leach. <laughs> wouldn't pass up Saban. Um, on signing day in the past, we've actually gotten a bunch of coaches on for like ten minutes apiece. Um, Urban Meyer's done it. Brian Kelly's done it. Um, it's not like we can't get those guys. It's just people. We just know what people like. They they want right. to hear a conversation. You know, right. That's what I want to hear. Like we're having a conversation right now. Hopefully, people find it interesting. Probably not, but hopefully, media people uh, will. I think that's different than an interview with somebody who you have no rapport with. Right. Yeah, it's a, this podcast business is interesting. Um, I have you on. You're the editor in chief of College Football at the Athletic, so I do want to talk a little college football. But um, we are taping this Wednesday afternoon, and obviously, there's going to be games Thursday, Friday, Saturday that will that could impact things. So. I don't want to get crazy specific, but let me uh, let me start with this. Give me your who, who are the four teams that are going to be in the playoff? You know, as much as I'd love for there to be chaos, it's hard for me to say right now that it's going to not be Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan. Now, somebody's going to Ohio State's now going to beat Michigan, and somebody's going to listen to this after the fact and say what an idiot <laughs> I am. Uh, or Georgia beats Alabama and throws the whole thing, but you know. Those teams have separated themselves, and uh, in particular, Alabama and Clemson, to me, are in a class unto themselves. You know, I'm the national championship game is coming to me this year. I live 15 minutes from Levi Stadium, and if you were to ask me, you know, do you want to take an Alabama-Clemson national championship game is going to happen there, or literally any other possible combination, I'd still take Alabama-Clemson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I feel like. Bama's not as invincible today as they were maybe three or four weeks ago, but they're still invincible. Um, well, the reason they don't seem invincible or maybe a little less, a little more mortal is because of two as me. Right. I mean, if he's, if, if that gets worse and he's not full strength, then this is a different story. Right. When he's, when he's full strength and healthy, um, they're hard to beat. Plus in my world, they haven't been invincible because they haven't been covering the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, I'm going to go on the premise that Bama beats Auburn, Clemson beats South Carolina, Notre Dame beats USC. Uh, let's just say here for shits and giggles, Ohio State beats Michigan. Who's the fourth team in? Well, I mean, that that depends on some things that happen in other parts of the country. Um, I Ohio State has been so bad on defense 
that I think there's going to be some skepticism there. Right. But I also think that they, you know, having beaten Michigan, having beaten Penn State, they would, and then going to the Big Ten title game and beating Northwestern, I think they would have a better resume than Washington State, who could finish 12 and one. Right. Or Oklahoma that could finish 12 and one. So, uh, I mean, Oklahoma has no business I, in the. In, I mean, you want Ohio State's defense looks like the 85 Bears compared to Oklahoma. Well, they're both pretty bad, and, and because of that, I don't. I think Oklahoma will lose to West Virginia this week. Um, I think West Virginia think might Ohio put up State 80. Michigan. Even if Ohio State does beat Michigan, they could lose to Northwestern because they're just, and they almost lost to Maryland. They got crushed by Purdue. You know, I wrote about this on Monday. If Ohio State had just lost a couple of these games and we're 8 and 3 right now, you know, obviously Ohio State fans would be disappointed. But it would almost be, um, they would, then they would almost be subject to less criticism because you would just say, oh, okay, it's a rebuilding game. You know, they lost all these great players up defense. But they keep winning. And so now they're still in the playoff conversation, but most people don't actually think they're, you know, anywhere close to being one of the four best teams. They're just not that good. Right. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, yes, I think if they won those games, they would end up being a fourth team. I just don't think they can do it. Now, listen, part of being a sports fan, even though we're in the media, I, we're, we're sports fans. Part of being a sports fan is you, you always get screwed. You can never have what you want. And the people in power, whether it's – Running sports, running networks, they always screw the fan. Why can't the four teams be Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Central Florida? Why can't we have that? Um, undefeated. Because they would be the fourth undefeated team? Yeah, I mean, I think there's something wrong when you can go undefeated and there's only three other teams that have gone undefeated. And then you can't get in because then what is the point in playing? What is the point in Central Florida playing a season? I think that they're very good. Okay, I don't. I, it's, the problem with having these conversations about UCF is that their fans immediately think you're saying they're 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 a fraud. They're not. They're really good. They just don't have the schedule. And so, if, if, if let's say UCF goes undefeated and the committee does exactly what you just said, they go, you know what, this team's won. I think at that point it would be 24, 25 straight games. Um, nobody else is able to do it. Let's just put them in. Well, then, if I'm Alabama, if I'm Ohio State, I'm immediately going and dumbing down my schedule for next year because now that's the committee saying doesn't matter who you actually play, just go undefeated. Um, you know, so this, this system was set up to reward schedule strength. I'm not saying it's been 100% on the money with that. You know, I think a lot of people thought last year Alabama did not have the schedule to merit being in there even though they were really good. Um, it's set up to reward schedule strength. And so I don't think you can, on the one hand, say, um, you know, like Washington State. Why is Washington State behind the curve this year, even though they're 10-1 uh, and because of their schedule? So I don't think you can say we're holding you accountable for that. We're not going to hold this team in Orlando accountable for that. I just think if you go undefeated and there's no reward, what's the point in playing your season? But, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. But what more are they – I guess what you're saying is they need to – schedule better teams and not at a conference and try to get in. Yeah, there. I mean, think to the think back to the Boise State Kellen Moore teams in 2010, 2011. They would play these neutral side games and beat Virginia Tech or beat Oregon or beat Georgia. You know, those were uh, TCU as well with Andy Dalton. Like, those were the games that made you feel like, at least me, I know they still had their plenty of skeptics that made me think like, yep, these guys are legit. Uh, you know, UCF played Pitt, who's going to end up winning, or did win, win a division in the ACC, uh, but they have four losses. 
you know, it just doesn't resonate the way it would if UCF, you know, opened the season in a yeah, somewhere playing or, you know, going on the road and playing Ohio State or something like that. All right. I still want UFC, UCF in there, but I understand. Um, all right, before we go, I want to reminisce a little bit about something, which it, 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 can't, it feels like a lifetime ago, but so back in, so when I created and wrote Hot Clicks 2007 to 2013, um, you know, every day we did this lovely lady of the day, which obviously would not fly now and probably, well, it wouldn't fly now. And, you know, I did it back then. That was then I've matured sort of. And moved when on. you say it wouldn't, it wouldn't fly now, you mean it wouldn't fly now on Sports Illustrated or would like no publication would let you run a, um, you know, in, in the era of Me Too, wouldn't let you have something called Lovely Lady of the Day? I think both. I don't really think it would fly on any mainstream site today. Yeah. Um, you, may, you may be right. I mean, I, I remember it very fondly. But what's the difference? Maybe you can't answer this in an SI podcast. What's the difference between that and the swimsuit issue? I think the swimsuit issue has been around for however many years it's been around and it's sort of an iconic brand. And I mean, I will say one, I mean, I'm going to get flack for this, but I don't care. One of the things I think that sort of got misconstrued with the lovely lady of the day was, um, yes, was it used to get cheap traffic? Yes. Um, but having said that, and I think there's this perception that like, you know, you just find a picture and you put it up there and you blah, blah, blah. I don't want to come off sounding like a dick, but this is the honest to God's truth. And you know this because you work with me. I would get dozens of emails every day from models or women who wanted to be featured in the column and be the lovely lady of the day. So what a tough job you have. Well, no, well, not anymore, but I'm just saying, so, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard for me to just like, I would never say I regret doing it. I did it. And, that era was extremely fun and um, people, I was very lucky, enjoyed the column overall. I don't think they came just for that. I think some people did. But, uh, you know, there were plenty of models who wanted to be featured there. So I don't necessarily look at it as a bad thing. But obviously in 2018, that's just not kosher anymore. Now... When I was doing that, you were doing a mailbag, as you still do. And then you, I think, mm -hmm. did the mailbag crush, yep. was what it was called. Which I find it so funny that Stu Stuart Mandel, this top-notch college football reporter, would get in the mud with me and, you know, do the mailbag crush. <laughs> and I wonder which one came first. I don't, I don't really remember. I think I opened the door for you to do that. Just, okay. to, just saying. Um and then, wasn't your first crush Jenna Fisher from The Office? Yeah, and this was so long ago that I think The Office might have been in, in only a first or second season. Right. I know I know that Pam and Jim hadn't gotten together yet. Like, this was still in the okay. flirtatious stage. And, and then I will really date myself, but I remember that 
I contacted her on MySpace. This is, oh, oh, I love it. She was very active. I was on MySpace and she was very active on MySpace. Phenomenal. Um, Yeah, so... You know, it really was a different time. I mean, yeah. Well, see, this is the reason I brought this. The reason I brought this up was because I remember having. I remember. So back then, I was in love with Minka Kelly. I think I still am. But yeah, you were. I was obsessed with Friday Night Lights. Still think it's one of the great shows of all time. Loved Minka Kelly. Um, interviewed her for SI.com. And I remember you saying to me something like, "Because I didn't watch The Office back then when it was on." And I remember you saying, when it was on its first run, and you saying like, you know. Jenna Fisher for you is Minka Kelly for me. And I was curious about, because I don't remember, like 2007, 2008 is 10 years ago. It feels like 50. So I don't remember it. I remember you trying to get in contact with Jenna Fisher or whatever, but I didn't know if there was ever contact made. Did she ever do like a Q&A with you? Was she, did she ever give you a comment about being the crush? What was the result? So you contacted well, her on MySpace and tell me what happened from there. I Okay. I don't think I did a, like a necessarily a Q and A with her. I think we corresponded once, but as that as the mailbag crush kind of became a bigger phenomenon, uh, relatively speaking, amongst right. this very very narrow uh, sphere of the internet, the subsequent ones I did do, like I would actually call the PR person and line something up. Okay, so, that's what I remember you know, I then. Okay. Yeah, I, I think you know. First of all, it was it was all very innocent, right? It was you know the the, the the mailbag celebrity crush. You know, there was nothing particularly um, like um, overt about it, right? right? It was just, it was kind of innocent. It was very innocent. It wasn't salacious. Not, it wasn't salacious. It was. Hot Clicks was salacious. Stu's mailbag and, and was I not could salacious. I say, like, they were intentionally um, under the radar figures, right? It wasn't right. like. I'm going to do the mailbag crush. The mailbag crush this year is Jennifer Lopez. You know, right, right. it wasn't like that at all. So it was actually in the TV uh, network's interest to, you know, do the PR. So, like, I don't remember the exact order, but there was Jordana, Jordana Spiro, who was the star of that show called My Boys at wow. the time about a female sports writer. Right. Um, and, like, I interviewed her, and I actually ended up seeing her at a, a Dodgers game when they did, like, a press junket. And then Caitlin Olsen from Always Sunny. Uh, it's funny, this is coming up the week I'm going to cover a USC game. I covered a really big Ohio State USC game. And this would have been, um, was Mark Sanchez the quarterback? Anyway, it was like number two versus number three or something mm-hmm. like that. And USC arranged a surprise where she and her now husband, who plays Mac on the show, surprised me in the press box. So, oh, wow. You know, yeah. that, that was pretty cool, yeah. uh, you know, for uh, somebody who didn't really ever have any interaction with Hollywood. Yeah. That's a trip. Yeah, that was fun. Um, but, now, but, then, you know, once in a while I get people saying, why don't you bring back the mailbag crush? And it's like, right. well, Good luck different with that. time in my life. Yeah, yeah. Young, single. Exactly. I'm, a, I'm married with a daughter. Like, I don't. It was I, a different world. Right now. Yeah. Different yeah. world. So, okay. But I was curious about the Jenna Fisher, if, they, if there was ever. So you contacted her on MySpace. This is the best part of this whole podcast. I never had a MySpace. Yeah, we just traded one. I think we just <sighs> traded, like, one email. Right. It wasn't, you know. I mean, frankly, she, at that point, the show, you know, she was on an NBC hit sitcom. So, right, right. Um, she, didn't, she didn't necessarily need that pub. Gotcha. 
I'm just amazed she had a he MySpace. He was on Saturday Live just this past weekend, by the way. I yeah. saw that. She had the best line. Yeah, she had the best line of that skit where she said, Steve, stop being a dick, just do the reboot. Um, but I would have liked to have seen more of the cast there, but, it, you know, it's not going to happen, so it's fine. What do you, what, I, I don't, is there really an interest in that? Are there really people calling for a reboot of The Office? I think if you had the original cast, people would be into it. But again, I think Steve Carell's point that he's made in interviews is that you can't do that show today because it was so politically incorrect back then. Yeah, I saw that. And if that's the case, maybe that's true. That's really disappointing because it's not like, um, I mean, there are, look, if that, if that, if you can't do that show, how do you do all Sunny in Philadelphia? You know, I mean, <laughs> that, that is far, far more, you know, over the top humor. Yeah, but it's FX office, versus but, NBC. I think that's a little bit of a factor. NBC, um, it's, you know, workplace, stuff that goes on in a workplace that would obviously be inappropriate now. Right. And I think it's, it's supposed to be it's the, exaggerated. Michael Scott was a doofus, and it was all exaggerated. And I think everybody gets that. But you're right. We're especially, I don't know if you watched the Adam Sandler Netflix special. I did not. I mean, I was a big Adam Sandler fan, you know, when I was 22, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was really cool to, like, that he did a whole tribute to Chris Farley and whatnot, but like, unfortunately, it's like his his brand of comedy is pretty tame, relatively speaking. Right? Yeah, like funny songs and whatnot. Are we getting to the point where that's the only kind of humor that will actually be accepted? That you can't actually do racy humor anymore because you're going to offend somebody. Yeah, I mean, I I I think um, I think that's where we're at. It's I, I think a lot of it too. I mean. Even if you get if you get a comedian, even like a Bill Burr, who I would not say is politically correct, okay, but even like a Bill Burr type, he knows if he's doing jokes in a comedy club, everyone has a phone, which means anything can be recorded. Which you know, I, I, so I think comedians like that they just don't want to deal with the headache because it's all you know. You, if he did say something not cool it gets filmed it gets put on twitter it goes viral yep. and then, and if you're a comedian you're trying to make a living do you really want to deal with that uh, you know but you know it's i don't time. know um, uh, look i i don't know we could we could do a whole podcast on that but uh, oh, exactly let's see how do we get here you asked me about the off the office right right jennifer the jennifer mailbag so yeah. yeah, but uh, so let me ask you this. So I had Ryan Rosillo of ESPN on this podcast um, a couple of months ago. He has a theory that Pam Beasley was evil. Your thoughts? Pam Beasley was evil. An evil human being. No, but Jim, with the benefit of hindsight, Jim Halper, who cracked us all up with his pranks of Dwight and uh, whatnot, and kind of you know, I guess it at the time that he and Pam were getting together and getting married. Like they were supposed to be like a kind of a typical rom-com couple. He was, he was a jerk. I mean, think about uh, not just the harassment of Dwight, but like he he bought a house without telling her, um, you know, wouldn't let her pursue her career at one point. Like, I don't know why Pam Beasley would be evil, but Jim was definitely a jerk. I will not have Jim Halpert besmirchment on my podcast. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end this right now. I love Jim. I love Believe Pam. me, I still I still think he was hilarious, but if you're for making judgments about people, I don't know why you would be on the 
like if you had to choose a side there, I don't know why anybody would go uh, go into the SI Media Podcast archives and listen to Rosillo. He lays out the case. We argued about it for a good 20, 25 minutes. Is it because she let? Is it because she led Jim on for so long before actually? Yeah, like you know, yeah, you know, had the hots for Jim while she was with Roy. Um, uh, got upset. It was very, very happy when she found out someone in the office was dating her mom. Then when she found out it was Michael Scott, she got she got upset. Um, something about something she did something with Jim's career. Oh, uh, she made up a job for herself in the office. But you know, she made herself sales. I guess you know, one day out of the blue, uh, Rosillo lays it all out. Listen to the podcast. I, mean, I guess I still must have a little bit of a crush on Pam because I'm failing to find anything wrong with any of the things you just said. I love Jim. I love Pam. And I will not have any negativity. Fair enough. And I also right. really hope they don't do it. Re- I mean, it doesn't like they would. Right. No, it's um, not going to happen. Just, just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know why there has to be a Will and Grace reboot or a Murphy Brown reboot. You know, like, The Murphy Brown one's a little all these. Writers and talented people in Hollywood that can't think of an original idea. I don't know. I mean, if if James Gandolfini was alive, I'd be down for Sopranos reboot. But you know, that's my show. So I don't know. I, listen, if people are enjoying the reboots, God bless them. I'm not anti reboot if that's what you know the fans of the show enjoy. But now, when you say Sopranos reboot, do you mean like it would be a continuation of the story? Yes. Especially Better Call Saul has been kind of genius that they were able to do a spinoff of Breaking Bad but go back before the events of Breaking Bad. No, I'd Bad want it like, it to be. I'd want it like, let's, you know, let's say we see Tony get shot in the diner, but he didn't die. And then like, pick it up now what's going on with Tony and Carm and the gang. That's what I, that's what I would want. I, I, I don't know. That's one of the like most memorable moments in TV history. And now you want to just like make it be just one part of the story. Listen, if it would give me The Sopranos every Sunday night on HBO at 9 o'clock, yes, I would. But it's not happening. Okay. So. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm just happy they're making another season of Curb. I hope they keep doing that until the other time. That's fine with me. Give me as much Curb as possible. I don't care if it's, you know, it's falling off a little. I'll give me Larry every week, and I'm happy. All right, Stu, yeah, I appreciate I mean, it. season wasn't great, but it's still better than almost anything else. Exactly. Exactly. I wish pe- more people looked at it that way. Um, all right, I appreciate you coming on here and uh, giving us a little lowdown on the athletic college football. Have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll definitely have you on again down the road. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jimmy. Have a great Thanksgiving. You too, thanks. All right, my thanks to Stu Mandel, one of the good guys in the sports media business. Known him a long time and uh, just a good, good person. Appreciated the chat. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. And uh, have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. If you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, I hope your day was filled with good family, good food, good fun, good sports wagers, winning bets, NFL, all the good stuff. We'll see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Take care. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. 
Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.